hear the most annoying sound in the world? Welcome to Rage Against the Mainstream, your full spectrum source for all things music, insight, and opinion. My name is Bill, and I'm joined here today with Connor, Steve, and Michael. Yo, yo, welcome back, Mike. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. How are you guys doing today? Swell. Swell. Whoa, weird. (laughs) Fucking weird. Great. Well, (laughs) fuck our swell. (laughs) If you guys are listening to this on the day it comes out, today is September 9th. 2019 um have you guys encountered anything new or interesting this week yes yes i have as well uh I, you, got, Michael? Um, I i had a gig last night i played till one o'clock in the morning and drove home from the poconos and got home at 3 30 a.m <laughs> so that's definitely definitely interesting <laughs> so mike's here but he not might totally yes, be but here a, uh, <laughs> So what'd you guys find this week? I got Sheer Mag's second album. They're from Philly. Um, a Distant Call. Um, they're, half of the band is also in the guest, which I've recommended before. Oh, yeah. Um, Sheer Mag is a lot bigger than the guest, though, and it's kind of a pretty anticipated album. Yeah, A Distant Call, uh, first single, Steel, Sharpened Steel. That's awesome. What about you, Steve? Um, it's got this 80s thrash band. The band's called Exhorter. They've released their first album in 1990. It's actually like a quintessential thrash album of the genre. Uh, the the singer actually sounds a lot like Phil Anselmo from Pantera. Like it's a really really good band. That's um, pretty cool. But they released their last album in '92, and they're actually releasing a new album now after 17 years. It comes out on the 20th of this month. They released two new songs. Um, I'm gonna personally say I don't like the direction they're going. They're becoming more of like a metal core, like hate breed type sound. Uh-oh. Yeah, they don't have that like traditional like '80s thrash vibe to it anymore. Um, but again, I mean, if you're a fan of the band, it's you know definitely there's only two songs out at this point, and they're definitely at least worth a listen to kind of get an idea. But um, the album is called "More in the Southern Skies." It comes out September 20th. All right, well that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Um, you may have heard me mention this band before, the band Camino. They uh, toured with that uh, singer-songwriter Ben Rector. No? Can't recall. They're one of those bands where I've seen them live, not knowing anything about them, and instantly became a fan because of how good their live show was. Um, they had released an EP a while ago that I think I recommended, or it was new or interesting that week, I forget. But <laughs> regardless, they put out a new album uh, two weeks ago. It's called Try Hard. And uh, that's actually pretty sweet. It's going to wind up being my recommendation for the week, too. Okay. Because the album itself is just really, really good. Hmm. I um, discovered, rediscovered this uh, bass player. It's a uh, girl named Tao Wilkenfeld. I don't know if you ever heard of her. Hmm. She came, she's from Australia. She came over here in the United States when she was 16. Um, It's actually 16 years ago. And uh, she came over here to be musician and she plays the bass she came over here to go to school out in los angeles she graduated from school and then she got a gig because how amazing she is she started playing with jeff beck oh wow wow. and all of a sudden she did a tour of jeff beck if you look on youtube 
you see her she's like 20 years old playing on stage with jeff beck that she's definitely a, shows how good she is she's, she's an amazing bass yeah. player she wound up playing um also doing recordings with the allman brothers prince um herbie hancock she went on tour with also chick korea so she's got the jazz fusion kind of thing going it's weird you mentioned herbie hancock i was i was going to recommend last week uh headhunters by <laughs> herbie hancock such a great album there's That's, there's yeah. video videos of this girl all over youtube of her playing with all these different people live she's got jackson brown's kind of her executive producer now and i didn't realize she actually is going solo now she's came out with a brand new album and some new songs which are incredible she's got an incredible band what's her name again tal first name's tal t-a-l her last name's wilkenfeld hmm. and um definitely gonna check yeah. that out yeah she's an amazing bass player she wrote all this stuff so now she's singing and she just came out with an an album and some really cool stuff on it she did was her band was the uh opening act for the who on the oh, last wow. tour pete townsend really likes her that's her crazy music. and so her band um opened up for the for the who so there's some videos you look on youtube of her yeah, yeah. opening up for the who and the, some of her songs are just it's different. It's different than what yeah. you're hearing going on out now. That's something. And Open it up for the It's very, very interesting, but it's very melodic, too. And, and uh, it's, it's, it's Yeah, cool she stuff. came out with an album in uh, March of this year called Love Remains. Yep. It's a 10-song LP. It's actually, she's got some a decent amount of music on Apple streaming, at least, I see. Um, and she's, uh, she has three the singles key- off the album. Yeah, I mean. The keyboard player is a keyboard player from Tom Petty. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, Benchmark Trent, who's been around forever. And, um, but she's really, really good. That's awesome. So I would be, if, if you want to hear some good music that's different than what you're hearing mainstream today, she, she's listened to a couple of songs of hers and you're like, wow, she's really good. <laughs> that's awesome. And some of her bass solos from, say, 10 years ago when she was playing with Jeff Beck, you just listen to her and you just, she, she was like 20 years old back then and she's just, you know, it's kind of funny because you never really hear much things about, like, really good bass players. Yeah. Like, yeah. everyone always focuses on guitar players and drummers and singers. Like, the bass player is just kind of the one that gets the short end of the stick or gets the shaft all the time. Yeah. You know? Unless it's someone... Paul McCartney. Yeah. Well, besides Paul McCartney, I think he's an extreme example. Lee. Cliff Lee. Burton. Cliff Burton. Yeah. Geezer Butler. Yeah, but we're only talking. That's only like five. That's only like five examples. Yeah, compared to the amount of like you know yeah. vocalists and guitarists, they definitely get more of a spotlight. Even drummers to an extent. Exactly. Yeah, no, I get you. The White Stripes bass has got no love. Yeah, he's no. for that bass. Line. <laughs> but yeah, that bass seem to be the most expendable in any band at this point, especially in today's era. Yeah, it's just it's, it's just wild. Well, because yeah. it could be all replaced with computers and synthesizers exactly. now. Yep. I mean, not that it couldn't be before, but now it's just even easier to do it. Like, why? Yeah, put it this way. If you go to record an album and you don't have a bassist, it's way Keyboard. easier to do so than if, like you say, we don't have our guitarist or we don't have our uh, drummer. Yeah, yeah. You know 100%. I mean? Yeah. I mean, you could always just use, like, a, a pitch correction pedal or something and just take it an octave lower and be fine. Yeah, you could always release your fourth album and not even have it be heard. Yeah, that's strange, too. Interesting. You know? I wonder who did that. That's weird. <laughs> All right, then. I missed the reference on that. And justice for all. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) On this day in music history. 
1956, Elvis Presley makes the first of three contracted appearances on The Ed Sullivan Show. Sullivan had previously said that he would never have such an act on, but ratings prevailed and Sullivan offered Elvis a record 50000 for the three shows. Isn't it ironic? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do, do you know that when he was on that the show, they could only film him from the waist the up? Hips. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. His because <laughs> his shaking of the hips was considered well, too... Racy Essential for television pelvis. at the time. It's amazing to think that in 1956, that was considered like atrocious behavior. Look yeah. at some of the shit you see on Instagram and YouTube oh today. God. It doesn't even get censored. I mean, think about no. some of the movies that kids see at like such a young age, and it's like nothing to them. But think of the movies that we've seen at such a young age. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, just the progression of like censorship is totally like... Do they even put explicit content on CDs anymore? Like, I think they do. Point? <laughs> You know I mean? think mostly the artists just yeah. kind of put it on themselves because yeah, they dude, think it looks it's cool. cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 uh you know printed on the album art. It's not even a sticker yeah. anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like when the Doors were on um, at Sullivan, and they sang uh, "Light My Fire." They they wanted them to change the words, uh, "Girl, we couldn't get much higher." Yeah, they wanted them to change the words to something else. And That's ridiculous. He didn't do it. <laughs> he yeah, just he, sang, he sang well, it. It's like funny, more pronounced. Even. Yeah, dude, it's funny though because yeah. the true story beyond that is not that Jim actually purposely did that. He actually was nervous that he came out in an interview and like was able to tell somebody that he was nervous and just because he had sang that song so many times, he totally fucking forgot and just sang it anyway. <laughs> it wasn't like it's supposed to be an intentional. In the movie, he's like well, super. You have to understand the Oliver it. Stone portrayal of him was to make uh, it more dramatic yeah, and hyped okay. up. But if you read uh, No One Here Gets Out Alive, yeah. which is also kind of not too historically accurate, but it's much more accurate than the movie, it comes out that people close to him had known that he had talked about that show afterwards and was like, that wasn't like intentional, but whatever. <laughs> you know, like he didn't regret it, but he was like, I no way did he like purposely try to do that. That's funny. 1975, Paul McCartney and Wings begin their historic 13-month world tour. U.S. performances will be recorded as the double album Wings Over America. The group plays to over 2 million fans during the course of the tour. This was a big deal at the time because I remember because this tour was the biggest tour ever at that point going around the world. And the three-album set that came out of it you know, sold millions, and it was really well done. That's Paul McCartney cool. was really meticulous yeah. about remixing it. And at that time, it was just amazing. The, the stage show they had for the time was way ahead of its time, and he had grand pianos and all this kind of stage set up and all these musicians, which had never been done before. And So um, it was a big deal at the time. 1982, coming off the monstrous success of Moving Pictures, Rush releases Signals, their ninth studio album. It features Subdivisions, a song that becomes a regular part of their live repertoire. The album hits platinum status only after two months. That's crazy. That's yeah. a short amount of time to go platinum. Yeah. Subdivisions, my favorite Rush tune. Ah, right, that's your favorite <laughs> Rush it? song? Yeah. <laughs> I saw that tour, and um, again, Rush was ahead of their times with their multimedia tour yeah 1988 it's the final or it's the finale of a four-day garage sale when elton john cleans house which in his case looks like a high-end hoarders among the items sold are the boots he wore in the movie tommy and his statue of liberty stage costume that the 41 year old then 41 year old felt he had outgrown the takeaway is 6.2 million so uh did anybody here see the adaptation rocket man 
No, I wanted yeah, to. No, I haven't I got a chance yet. yet. That would be a good recommendation. Well, allegedly, for a like a bit. Allegedly, well, I'm waiting for it to come to DVD uh, listen, where it's easier. Allegedly, there's a great copy on Cody. Oh, Lodi on the water twig? Lodi on the water twig. Uh, <laughs> I watched it, and it's ironic because the way it starts is like him walking into like an AA meeting type setup, and then he starts telling his story. Here's the thing. The movie, I don't want to get too much into it. Great film. There's a lot of musical moments, uh, okay. and it's almost like they were trying to ruin the film because the movie parts are great. The acting is great, but the musical scenes that they keep adding in there suck. But it's funny at the end, you know, when they talk about, they kind of like wrap everything up, like, you know, so-and-so after 20 years, da-da-da. Yeah. And then they show like a little they said out in John, like he's sober for so many years, but another thing he had was a shopping addiction. And they straight oh. up admitted that he still has a shopping addiction. They showed a picture of him with like just ridiculous shit. Because that was a huge problem for him is like not even with just the drugs and the drinking, but he had a huge shopping problem, like legit. Well, I mean, this shows it right here. I mean, yeah. if the takeaway from a garage sale is $6.2 million, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, really. how many yard sales have you ever been to that probably made over $100? None. None. <laughs> I mean, he's selling some of the stuff at crazy high prices, though, just because he owned it. Of course, dude. He, um, yeah. He had a thing with flowers. He always wanted fresh flowers that was around. Thing, yep. And so as an apartment, he spent thousands of dollars every week just to Ooh, have that's fresh crazy. flowers around. Yep. Could and you imagine that kind of like fuck you money? <laughs> yeah. Jimmy Page has a crazy house. I, yeah. I just read a story about that at some castle in, outside of London. And it's like, I think it's from the 13th century or something. Yes, and I've seen. Or such. no. I've seen pictures of it. It's like maybe 150 years that old, actually, but it's like designed in like some old 13th century Gothic style, French Gothic or some shit. It but, makes sense. It's fitting. Um, yeah. His, he pays like crazy money to keep that house like meticulously, like uh, period correct. Well, he's Jimmy Page. He can afford it. I mean, he pretty much just stays in the house all day, man. <laughs> <laughs> My thing. In 1992, <laughs> Nirvana's feud with Guns N' Roses reaches a tense climax when Axl Rose threatens Kurt Cobain backstage at the MTV Video Awards. Side note, Dave Grohl spit on the keys of the piano that he thought Axl Rose was going to be playing on and during November Rain, and it was actually Elton John's yep. piano. That's yeah. so funny. And he's like, oh my God, I just spit on Elton John's Also, piano ironically keys. enough, I was like telling you this, also in 92, the Montreal show with uh, Metallica. Metallica and Guns N' Roses, uh, Axl had a huge love for the grunge scene, mm-hmm. specifically Nirvana. He used to rave about Nirvana, but Kurt just was like blunt out like, and they didn't like have him. love for him. No, dude. And it was funny. There was even a part where, uh, like, Axel came out, like, was just, like, almost like a kid who was, like, getting bullied. He's like, I just don't understand why they don't like me and <laughs> shit. There's, like, literally interviews of this. And it was funny because Axel asked Kurt to have Nirvana join that Montreal show to actually play with them. And it would have been huge. And Kurt was flat out like, nope, you're corporate rock and roll. We don't like your style. We're, like, literally anti what you're about. And lo and behold, Axel didn't play that show because of, you know, my throat hurts, <laughs> even though he's been drinking Jack and smoking Reds in the green room the entire yeah. time. So Axel early, you know, Kirk came out and was like, this is exactly why we didn't want to play that type of show with you. 1994, Green Day plays a free concert at the Hat Shell in Boston. A few songs into their set, many in the crowd cross the line from moshing to rioting and police order an end to the show. What's up with all these acts that shouldn't have riots having riots? Well, Green Day like in Like the Jackson 5. Yeah, but Green Day in 94, they were kind of 
trying to be that. So you figure it's like the pop I, punk kids that try yeah. to act way tougher than they are. So it's not totally out of left field, but we know Green Day, we know you now. Yeah. Like this ain't you, Green Day. <laughs> Go could, on. Could you imagine like people riding to like when I come around? Oh my god. Yes. <laughs> uh, what, she what? she screams in silence. <laughs> Says rich New England Boston kids. Yeah. 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 Well they oh they're they better hardcore do. up there. <laughs> Um, yeah, Boston with bandanas across her face Boston to wake Boston me up when <laughs> September ends, like trying to hop the fences and shit. Um, 2003, John Mayer releases his second studio album, Heavier Things. The album title is a response to some critics who believed his previous songs were too soft. The album debuts at the on the album debuts at number one on the U.S. Billboard 200 chart. I think this is that John Mayer album that has that song. Um, Waiting on world to change. No, I think it's that one that has that song. Yeah, it has that, that one. Oh, is it? Yeah. I thought it was that one. Uh, like I want to run through the walls of my high school. <laughs> I want to scream at the top of my lungs. <laughs> that song. I thought that was this album. Dude, to be honest with you, for the longest time, I couldn't separate him and Dave Matthews. I always just thought it was like <laughs> Greta Van Fleet to Led Zeppelin. Like it's just. <laughs> like, oh, Dave Matthews putting out like at least somewhat decent Heavier tracks. Was but, huge, though. But that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Some of their songs that in John Mayer, that's why I would treat it as like, wow, Dave Matthews stepped their game up here. And then I realized, like, oh, shit, that's John Mayer. I always have a tough You know time. who I always get confused oh, wait, with? Waiting on the World to Change was not um, yeah. Heavier Things. I misspoke. What was the single? Uh, something Singles. I'm not familiar with. John Mayer is one of Nicole's favorite artists. Yeah. Um, bigger Than like My him. Body. Like bigger Than My Body. Is that the song you were singing? No. Um, Clarity, Daughters. Those were those were the heavier things hits. Uh, I don't know. But then came Continuum. I used to play that song you're talking about. You Did you? I played it, yeah. What's it called? I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> uh, I can't he's remember. In, he's in the dead now. Dead and Company. Yeah. Yeah. Moving on up. Speaking of moving on. <laughs> actually, we're not moving on up because it's still 2003. Simon and Garfunkel make it official, <laughs> announcing plans to reunite and tour for the first time in 20 years. They get more per ticket than any other tour that year, $136.90. They donate $1 million to the Children's Health Fund at the end. That's cool. It's a lot of money per ticket. Yeah. Who do you think they yeah. are? Foo Fighters? Yeah. Well, <laughs> Metallica. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're Metallica. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm definitely not. They donate I, I one million. Huh? That, they donate one million. That's the gate from one show. Yeah, yeah exactly. Much, yeah. yeah, they. Uh, like you could see Allison Chains like seven times for that price. Oh my God! Yes. Yeah. Well, you could or spend just that, bring yeah. six friends with you. <laughs> the ironic thing is, this is a huge reunion tour for a group that was like quite famous in their time. Oh and yeah. Charging one hundred thirty-six ninety in two thousand three. One hundred and thirty-six ninety today will get you lawn tickets for the Foo Fighters. That's what I mean. Yeah, bullshit. That's what I'm saying. When you brought that up, I really had to put that in perspective. That's bullshit. It's mm-hmm. a lot of for money. Foo Fighters, and it's like consistent. <laughs> like they don't keep touring. It's not like Foo Fighters comes around once every five years. Actually, Foo Fighters haven't been here in like three. No, they just came. Did they? Like they were here like, last yes, year. Yes, dude. That's yeah. what. That's the price that I was talking about. It was one hundred and forty for the lawn, and then they played not too long ago again with Social Distortion at the yep. Wells Fargo. Oh Center. yeah, that's that right. Was even more money. Yep. Didn't Simon and Garfunkel do like a free concert in Central Park? I like think twenty so. some years ago. I think probably. Um, Would doubt it. <laughs> They're that type of band. Who do we like better, uh, Paul Simon or Art Garfunkel? Simon. I think Art Garfunkel. Really? 
Yeah, yeah. I like Art Garfunkel better. Paul yeah. Simon. Yeah. 2014. Who doesn't like a free gift? I like free gifts. Apparently, about 500 million iTunes users who created an uproar when U2's then latest album, Songs of Innocence, showed up sans charge and sans permission in their personal libraries. You know, it's kind of funny. We have a vintage review of said album that I'm going to play it right now. Oh, really? This morning, I grabbed my iPhone and I was going through my music and. I found this U2 album. So I gave it a quick listen, and it was absolute garbage. Why would they put this shit on my phone? It just pisses me off. I don't even want to own an iPhone anymore. Music News. Today in Music News, September 9th, 2019. First thing we got here is... uh. Tool singer Maynard James Keenan received death threats from fans over the way for the new album. Reverend Maynard James Keenan. <laughs> the album now has been out for 10 days. Um, the article here is it's taken Tool a long time to get their new record put together, but some fans are taking their impatience to a whole nother level. According to an interview with drummer Danny Carey, uh, vocalist uh, Maynard James Keenan has received death threats from some people who aren't happy about the 13-year wait. Carrie opened up about the pressure the band had to deliver a new record and the expectations from fans. Um, it's quoted here, I felt bad for him, and he even told me he was getting death threats from these idiots out there, Carrie said. Um, they just have no idea what our work ethic is. These things just don't happen, man. There's no other record that's going to sound like this tool record. What you hear is what you get, and what you get is what it takes to get it done. And uh, it's not an easy process. Uh, Keenan has been handling the majority of questions for the band regarding the new album since about 2015. Um, I felt anxiety because they would blame our singer, and it's not his fault. We all have our own things going on, lives, families, other projects, other interests. So it's ready when it's ready, Jones said. Um, but I appreciate the dedication from our fans, the very strong dedication. But the record has turned out uh, turned out cool, and it's very different than our last record. I think that's what we all wanted. Um, so you I'm still kinda, haven't heard it yet, Is right? it called Fear Inoculum? Yeah, it's called Fear Inoculum. That's the album it's title, funny. too. Yeah, and it's funny because uh, I actually ordered a, um, a vinyl version of it. It was uh, supposed to be signed by... Alex Gray, who does the artwork, um, and it's funny because it's 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 available. Like I could listen to it very easily, but I like refuse to, and I think I like add more to the hype to it, which could probably you just hurt it. Wait for the vinyl. Yeah, I just really want to hear it because it's Here just it it's meant it's to such be sounded. A, I remember, dude. I remember the first day I went to Clearview. I had a ten thousand days hoodie. I used to wear it all the fucking time. I remember that hoodie. Yeah, man. Like I really like Tool, and it's funny with this album and the anticipation. It does suck because there was a long period of time where they were like, we're, we're done the instrumentals. We're just waiting on Maynard. We're done the instrumentals. Danny Carey finished the drum parts. Adam Jones and Justin. Ch like It was such a huge problem. And everyone was blaming Maynard because he was doing stuff and they would see him torn with Perfect Circle or doing something with Pucifer. And everyone's like, well, what the fuck about Tool, man? <laughs> like they had, they had so many expe like expected release dates over the past five years almost for this album and just never hit. So every year it was like a big thing of like, oh, it's coming out this summer. It's coming out this this fall every year since you know now it's released yeah um so i get it it just sucks because again i actually read an article 
I try to stay away from the reviews and any listening things and links and stuff because I just don't want to hear it yet. Um, but there was an article I read where somebody straight up said like they should not have released this album. They just shouldn't have released mm. it because now like you kind of set the hype so much that you're almost like killing a credibility of a band. That's just crazy. Like uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Game of Thrones and it's the same thing. Game of Thrones season eight was such a letdown that it's like I don't even feel like recommending the show to anybody. Yeah, you told it, me that before because yeah, I wanted to watch it. Yeah, it's like I don't even feel like recommending it because it's just the way it ends. It's almost like with this album. But again, I can't deny Opiate, Undertow, Enema, Lateralis, even 10,000 Days. Their, their entire discography is great. Yeah. So regardless of how this album sounds, if it's so different, like they're saying, and the you know a lot of fans are like, it's mixed reviews at this point in my eyes. Um, that's the thing about Tool. I'm not, I'm trying to get away from the bias of the time it took and the expectation, and just go into it, listening to it like it's any other album released exactly. by this band. I mean, that's the biggest thing with it. Well, we hope you guys stop threatening uh, Maynard. Why threaten him? If you threaten to kill him, then he can't then finish the album. Yeah, then you're never getting it. <laughs> <anybody. laughs> It's probably some like dude in his mom's basement, just like probably the same people that were scare him into finishing it. Exactly, yeah, it's like, probably like, the same people that are writing Lou Reed. <laughs> <laughs> probably dude. rest in peace. <laughs> <laughs> All right, <laughs> next thing we got here is uh, Slipknot pass Ed Sheeran for first UK number one album in eighteen years. Slipknot's new album, We Are Not Your Kind, has seemingly been one of the only things on the metal community's mind the past few weeks, and it looked like it looks like it's paid off oh. for the band. Uh, the Nine have landed their first number one record in the UK in 18 years, beating out Ed Sheeran's number six collaborations project for the top spot. Uh, the band's new record snagged the top spot after making over 31,800 chart sales in its first week of release. The album is the band's fifth consecutive album to land in the top five, with Iowa being their only other album to get to the uh, number one spot in the UK. Uh, this also marks uh, the UK's fifth heavy metal record to get to the top spot in this decade. The others include Iron Maiden's Book of Souls, the final chapter or the final frontier, uh, and Avenged Sevenfold's Hail to the King and Black Sabbath's Thirteen. Was Iowa a studio album? Yeah, yeah. Iowa is one of their heaviest. That's- old yeah it's really old and yeah. this is like before they had like really good masks this yeah. is like when like Corey taylor had like a paper mache mask with like dreads like glued to it yeah, yeah. and iowa i have you ever listened to iowa Steve? that's the only album i actually can tolerate by slipknot it's good I'm though isn't it slipknot fan at all but yeah that album's actually not it's not heavy. bad I mean, that's a, it's the same thing with people that like hate Tool, like Corey Taylor. I don't like the band, but I respect his vocal yeah. content. I respect some of the instrumentals. The uh, the Iowa album is actually a decent listen. Slipknot's just not my scene. I kind of put them in that class with like Five Finger Death Punch and like kind of like Disturb, like that weird obscure like it's not yeah. metalcore. It's almost like just like heavy metal. Like, yeah, but exactly. It's, not death, it's just weird to put Sli- it. But. Slipknot's like a, it's. It's like weird. It's like new metal, but it's not new it's metal. Like new metal ish. But that's the thing. Yeah. They're more polished and more direct than corn. Yeah, like yeah they're more straightforward. They get more funky. And yeah. yeah, and like that's Slipknot the thing. is just like quotes like brutality like the whole yeah, time, dude. Um, but yeah, Iowa is actually not a bad listen. I'm not gonna. Deny Who do you prefer, corn or Slipknot? Slipknot. Yeah, yeah, corn. I'd rather just About the same. I'd rather just go to the desert island alone. <laughs> to be I'm just glad they beat out Ed Sheeran. Yeah, yeah right. Final. Yeah, and the UK too, though. 
Like Ed Sheeran yeah. in the UK is like he's their boy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't understand it. I mean, it looks like it's kind <laughs> of be like weird Bush dumb. coming over here and knocking Nirvana off the number one. With Sixteen stone. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure Nirvana <laughs> was still way bigger than Oh wait, no, that's what you're saying. Yeah. yeah okay. That's what I'm he's, saying. Yeah, yeah like that wouldn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it would be probably more like Nirvana holding the number one over here and then like Dido knocking Nirvana off the number one. Yeah. That's probably the like mirror equivalent. To be fair, it does look like it's some kind of like throwaway Ed Sheeran album. It says number six collaboration yeah, project. It? So it's probably yeah. all like I, I don't even know anything about this album at all. He just did like duets or something with other people. All right. The last thing we have here in music news is probably one of the most interesting things we have here today for this segment. Uh, Dwayne Allman's Layla guitar sells for $1 million at an auction. Um, the guitar Dwayne Allman played on the Derek and Domino's classic Layla recently sold at auction for a million dollars. Um, Dwayne Allman, who is uh number nine on Rolling Stones, hundred greatest guitarist list, which we've proved on this podcast doesn't mean anything. Um, he also played the 1957 Les Paul Gold Top, which has been on display at the Allman Brothers Big House Museum in Macon, Georgia, on the Allman Brothers 1969 self-titled debut LP and 1970s Idle Wild South, the Marcon Telegraph reports. Uh, following Allman's death in October 1971, the now former owner purchased the guitar in rough condition in 1971 and repaired and restored it over the ensuing decades. According to the auction house, musicians that visited Georgia often tested out the guitar, including Metallica's Kirk Hammett, ZZ Top Billy Gibbons, and the Rolling Stones. Uh, oh, the Rolling Stones planned to borrow the guitar for a July 27th Georgia gig, but it was nixed due to the auction. Gotta have rock and roll said. What? That's the uh, article. You gotta have rock and roll. Oh, gotta have rock and roll is where this came from. Yeah. Um, the anonymous out-of-town buyer is pledged to keep it in the Big House collection for a few months, a year. It'll be coming back to the Big House in late November, Big House Museum Director Richard Brent told the Macon Telegraph. We couldn't ask for more than that. Well, you think? Oh, can you bring the guitar back to our yeah. museum, even though you paid a million dollars for it? Yeah. Hey, we kind of need probably, it back here. It's probably safer in the museum than there anywhere. That's true, that too. Be, that's just, yeah, but you would think, though, about traveling with it. I was just going to say, that would be so annoying. Like you need Imagine to have, like, a fucking gun safe. House, you know, and then it's all of a sudden, it's, you know, oh, that time it's of November. the month, it's March. Yeah. You know, I got to drive it all the way down. And it's like, yeah, yeah it's not just, like, transferring, a, like, a 42-inch TV or some shit. It's a million dollar less, Paul. That it would have to go into a, like, like a gun safe or something, like when it's not on display at a museum. Probably you'd have well, to yeah, hire. I would hire it. Yeah, yeah it's and then it's also what? It's just this guy oh driving God, down yes. the street. What if one guy found out who had it? Yeah. What about? It's got to be in like a fucking armored what truck. What if we stopped to fuel up, went inside to the store to take a piss, and someone just reached in and took it? I mean, that's a legitimate situation. Yeah. That could I mean, happen. But you see those movies you can't where, like, fly you know, the guitar. You, you don't want to fly a guitar because no, yeah, the pressure and everything. Would have what, to you sit carry it on a plane. Seat. Yeah, we carry it on a plane yeah. instead of next to you. Joe I mean, Bonamassa uh, does here's that. The thing. He buys an extra buy a first ticket, first ticket for the guitar. For his yeah. guitar. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure though the guy who ever bought this, obviously, if he has expendable income like that, he has some sort of means and ways to be able to transport it. But yeah. still, the sake we couldn't ask for him for that. Of course, you couldn't. The guy could have just said. Like, you probably no. don't feel bad. Like, you're going to bring it back to the museum. People still want to see Why'd you auction it? 
Yeah, exactly. Why the fuck did you auction it? Did you think that someone was going to be just agreeable to like bring once, it back? Once we sell it, we'll just ask them like bring it back a couple times a month for a few months a year. Like, come on, dude. It's yeah, like, yeah. Hopefully, he gets. It could just be like someone who's on like the board of the museum or something. I don't. It doesn't. But that's it says something an anonymous. Me if you're working at the Allman Brothers Museum, you're an anonymous out of town to buy buyer it could be dude. run by like. His sister, or something. Yeah, that's shit. true. I mean, the yeah. guy definitely has some. It's his anonymous out of town buyer. Guys has some sort of credibility somewhere to be able to drop that uh, type of money out of town. That's buyer. what I'm saying. Yeah. So it's obviously not affiliated with. And the he's museum, also anonymous, so he probably. I mean, they could lie about that, though. Yeah, I guess. I mean, if he's going as anonymous, he might actually be somebody within the music community. Could be. I mean, Keith, do you when you say um, the number nine in a Rolling Stone, which doesn't mean anything? Do you think Dwayne Allman should be higher? Or do you think it should be lower? Yo, no, listen. I'm saying the list as a whole is very yeah. skewed. Yeah, listen, man, I'm gonna tell you this. I, I actually picked him on my super group. Yeah, Wayne Allman. I know. It's Dwayne a shame he's, he died so young because he was so, so good. Good man, and so influential. He started the southern rock genre on that his own. That slide guitar, dude. Yeah, and yeah, he's he's really something. He was really something. It's a shame that he died so young. Yeah, man. I might say he probably deserves to be higher. Yeah, I would say so as well. I'm trying to think of who's one, two, three. I'll and take four. him over Eric Clapton. Yeah, I know Hendrix and 100%. Page are one and two. I probably take him. I don't know Page. who's three and four. Let me ask you this. I'm gonna put it out there. No, he's not better than Eddie Van Halen. The other. Individual. I mean, yes, he is better than Eddie Van. The Halen. other individual. Dimebag Daryl? No. Kurt Cobain? Who do you mention more than often? Kurt Zach Wilde? Yep. Uh, oh, yeah. He's way better than Zach Wilde. Okay, okay. I just want to put that out there. Uh, Hold on. Hold the phone. Different. Yes, they are different. I'm just saying for but overall. Zach Wilde plays guitar for like eight hours a day. Listen. Still. Yes, and I will tell so you, though. He, these guys used to practice 20, all day. 24 hours a yeah, day. Dwayne they used to hide in a house and just practice. Zach Wilde did sit in with the Allman Brothers Band for a full show. That's great. Just because I'm sure that one out a level there. of respect. Well, yeah. But Old ways, though. Yeah. yeah. Like, you just don't get to sit in with the Allman Brothers yeah. for a gig if you're if you're a nobody. Of course. Yeah, like Gavin Rosdale's not fucking sitting in exactly. with the Allman Brothers. I'm not saying that Zach Wilde's better than... <laughs> go I'm not saying to, that he's better say that. by any means. But that's the thing, though. I the Going back to the Rolling Stone list, I feel like the Rolling Stone list is a little skewed. Well, and of course. And, and the thing about and, it is when you debate guitarists like that, I don't so much debate them for the idea. Like, sometimes, like the classic sense of a guitarist tends yes. to weigh more heavily as opposed to like, all right, this guitarist is just better. But Dwayne Allman, I kind of separate him from like, you know, the classic acts of like Clapton, Jimmy Page. and Because Dwayne exactly. Allman was just very, like that's, you know, no, not many people really know of him like Jimmy Page. Yeah, well, I, mean, I also feel like in that particular list, like people like Eric Clapton, Jimmy Page, yeah. Dwayne Allman, they should be off like yeah they they should yeah. be in like a top you know a top level that doesn't count for the list because then they have people like i keep saying it kurt cobain is higher on the list than dimebag daryl and perfect sense it does not make perfect sense at all like that is just so Dude, like Dimebag Daryl's pretty one dimensional as well like i, I mean, don't know about your all argument that. about kurt cobain like I'm saying as far as an innovator and technique goes, Dimebag Daryl has Kurt Cobain hands down all day, every day. What did he innovate? What? 
everything. Have you not ever listened to Pantera? Yeah, they sound like a pretty typical metal band. No. Oh my god. Yeah. Please no. back me up on this one. This is this is the one thing. Like I'll I'll do Desert Island, Appetite, and Nevermind. I'm going Nevermind all day. <laughs> but if I'm, this is the, the way I can see it. If I'm gonna pick a band and I have to choose a guitarist, but I'm thinking of the possibility of any genre of music to be able to have them play, I would choose Dime over Kurt any single day. Kurt Cobain. Yes. Like Nirvana had way more of an evolution throughout their career no. than Pantera. Dude, have you listened to Power Metal and then Far Beyond Driven? Yeah. I've listened His to Power Metal. His guitar quality is well, not even that. Better listen every to, single. Listen album. to Power Metal versus like Damage Plan. Even, yeah, like dude. even from Pantera to Damage Plan, there was a dude, huge evolution even, in his music. Do you think Damage Plan's better guitar playing than Pantera? Well, I mean, it's Dimebag Daryl. It's all... It's uh, just different music structure. Yeah, it's different music. But here's but the thing. Just his... the dynamic, if you think of, like, Bleach to Nevermind. There's obviously a jump there, but Power Metal to Cowboys from Hell? God oh, damn. Holy fuck, dude. I didn't even realize it was the same band. It's literally point. night and, and day. And it's not even just because Phil's not doing vocals. It's just quality of guitar work. Well, it's like, yeah. I don't know what happened. How did he become that different in, within a couple years of albums? Yeah. But as far as technique... And, and for all... What about it? He's probably inspired by that. And well, they were boys with Metallica. But yeah, but your talent level doesn't just change like that. That's the yeah. If you're hanging out with the Kirk Hammett and James Hetfield all day, just Vicious hung out with fucking Lemmy for God knows how long. Couldn't even play a fucking simple. Yeah, that's because they weren't playing music together. They were getting fucked up together. But back to the Rolling Stone list. That's the reason why I say that the Rolling Stone list is garbage and it doesn't mean anything because it's just so it's so messed up. I'm not going to deny though, like Kurt is actually a better guitarist than most people give him for because they think of how simple his songs are. Yes. Just the ability, his writing structure. But again, like for guitarist's sake, I mean, it's just Dime is, that's what he did. Yeah. I mean, you can't. Like it's on said list. Kurt like, Cobain's solos are hard to play. Kurt Cobain's higher on the list than Steve Vai or Joe Satriani. Yeah, I mean, that's... And John Petrucci. he's more influential. No, it's not influential Sat- guitar Satriani players. It's took- greatest. To, to what like bands that came after really though? Joe Satriani took jazz fusion from and made it more mainstream, um, and Steve Vai also and. But they're kind of like their own thing. They didn't yeah. inspire like masses and masses of people. Like you could even say that for Pantera, like they did inspire. Listen, yeah, a yeah lot but the of list people, isn't influential. Like, that's what I was to say. The list yeah. is greatest. And John Petrucci, like. Yeah, but that's all factored into greatest of all time. Like, it's not just ability. Like, if it was ability, right, then so the dudes from uh, what was the metal band in like the mid two thousands with the crazy fast Dragon Force, they would be number one. They're not even on the list. Well, yeah. There you go. Like, that's why they don't do those things. Like, well, that. that's the thing about that list. I think that's what people tend to look is they just immediately think like someone who can play guitar well, as opposed to what their music from their guitar work actually accomplished. Yes. I will say Nirvana, hands down, way more influential than Pantera. Pantera was influential in a different regard, but Nirv- dude, Nirvana just spawned the whole fucking level. Yeah, of music and I'm not, just, I'm not disagreeing yeah. with that at all. But I'm it's saying, a, like, if we it, narrowed the list down just to people as they can actually physically play the guitar, you might as well call the list the hundred most magical guitar players of all time. What guitarist picked up the guitar and made the most magic with their instruments? That's yeah, yeah, I in would that agree case, with that. I would agree yeah. with that. But I'm saying, can you also agree if it came down to people that can physically play the guitar? No, I don't think that has much to do with it at all. What do you mean? Like, like if you sat down and you had to play guitar against Bill, 
You know what I mean? And then someone had to make a list to say who was the better guitarist. Not well, that's like different because that's like a. But that's what I'm asking. That's like you. a and guitar I, duel. But I'm that's saying not that, like analyzing a whole career. But I'm to saying like the ability, like I said, if you had to pick a guitarist to play any genre of music, any, if it was going to be blues, if it was going to be jazz fusion, if it was going to be thrash metal, if it was going to be alternative, if it was going to be punk, any type of music played. Which guitarist would you pick to be able to like accomplish at least being able to play any genre? Because they're just physically better to play Probably the instrument. Jimmy Page. No, I'm saying between Dime and Kurt. I think Eddie Van Halen could do all that stuff. I mean, no, it's, I, I think way off denying it. Yeah, way had, off no, subject. Damn, no, he, right. he has the musical. It's unbelievable. He has the musical, done. technical, yeah. musical background to do yeah. all that stuff. Don. That's all. unreal. <laughs> By the yeah. way, me and Michael get the same paychecks from Van Halen, fuckers. <laughs> unreal. Get the same what? Paychecks from Van Halen. Oh. Anyway. No, I'm kidding. That was um, an Eddie mention, not a David mention. All these different um, guitarists and music throughout the generations almost brings us to our next topic, our main topic. Bill? Steve? Um, Bill? Yeah, well, you know, going back to the list and you hear these top, you know, three guitar players, top five guitar players, whatever, and you have, like, Robert Johnson, then you have Jimmy Page, and then you have Eric Clapton. Before you get to Jimmy Page, Elvis in the 50s. Elvis, Van Halen, and then Dimebag Daryl and Kurt Cobain and everything, and so on, so on. How did these bands affect generations of people? So let's, um, because we brought Michael on here, uh, not to... Really no, put no, it in any regard. You're just an older gentleman compared yes. to our generation class. Let's say that we brought him on here for a level of expertise due to the fact that he lived in this era and was able to understand it better. But I mean, let's start with like the because I don't want to go back to like the 40s and the 30s with the jazz era and stuff yeah, like that. Right, that was like yeah. we can go right to like the emergence with rock and roll starting with like the 50s when it really yeah, started Elvis, to break. Yeah, that's why Elvis was called the king of rock and roll because he's the one that kind of yeah. started it because he came from the background in the South of black soul blues music and gospel music and he put it together and created this thing that they started calling rock and roll you know jailhouse rock yeah heartbreak and that was like the beginnings of it that's why he was called the king of rock and roll because he kind of created and then these other guys bill haley and the comets chuck berry um little richard little richard they all started this style they started playing the style of music and it got, you know, kids always want to rebel against their parents. It's always the teens rebelling against their parents. And this gave the kids something to use. Say, we like this music and our parents don't. Yeah. So we like this. So, and it's. That eccentric pelvis really uh, yes. was causing rifts in major households in North America at the time. So we're calling it the eccentric <laughs> pelvis. The eccentric pelvis. <laughs> and then. But the 50s was all about, you know, it was a rock lot about roll. Elvis. Yeah. In the beginning of rock and roll. And it's just crazy too to think about it that now, like Elvis is like considered like country western type music. You know what I mean? Like, like you'll hear Elvis on like a country station, and like it's very rarely now that he's like on a rock station. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's just um too like with that generation of like what it spawned with like that kind of like beatnik greaser blue collar environment, mm-hmm. and then you have music that was kind of like surrounding. 
that time. And then that's what start you start to see with each decade is kind of how this music spawns the idea of like the social constructs that were created as a result. I mean, you figure the type of music people were listening to were kind of dictating so and so the click they were like a part of. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then the cool thing about the 50s is, I mean, I think eventually I want to get down and see what everybody's favorite era of music was. So like when you go to the 60s, the 60s is when... Like, holy fuck, shit, really. Like, with the Beatles coming out, yeah. that's really when things started to really British become... Invasion. Yeah, like, British music invasion. really yeah. became a prominent mm-hmm. sense. You know? Well, I feel like that's when rock and roll, like, started to actually become rock and roll. Yeah, that's when it became bang. Yeah, like, yeah. Elvis, yeah, yeah kind of gave the idea to somebody, it yeah. almost seems, and then the Beatles took it and, like, gave a little bit to everybody almost to create this and wave like, the Beach Boys over here. Even so, yeah. You know? Doors. The Doors. Credence. Oh, yeah. Led Zeppelin at the end of the era. I always felt like the American music was better than British music at any individual time. But here's the, th- the ironic thing is like yeah. the I 60s, agree, though, I think the 60s had, because of that British invasion, I think they kind of like overshadowed a lot of American bands that were coming out in the 60s. But the 70s is when like American music really started to take hold. The 60s was probably one of the, the biggest decades for music because it had some of the biggest events. I mean, the Woodstock well, was probably the biggest event ever and it came at the end of the 60s yeah and it brought the whole counterculture together and all the bands that were against the vietnam war and it was a way for younger people to protest against the establishment through the sound yeah through the music crosby stills nash young did all the anti-war songs well that was like the biggest thing too about Jimi hendrix playing the star spangled banner like that was literally a message at that point and that was the last the last day of the festival and it was hardly anybody left that was the strange thing about that. Well, but it was Woodstock was the defining moment of the counterculture there. And then the 60s also had the psychedelic, the drug use, yeah. um, the Grateful Dead, you know, uh, Asbury and Haig, San Francisco, Pretty that great. whole American psychedelic. So it brought that whole counterculture came together and it, it climaxed at Woodstock. And then Woodstock became the defining moment for that culture. The Dead played great uh, Woodstock, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I just saw this thing where John Fogarty, like, I forget who the act was before him, but, like, they, like, it ran super, it was the Dead. They ran super late. They played for, like, three hours, and they were only supposed to play for, like, 45 minutes or something. (laughs) And Whoops, sorry. I forgot. By the time John Fogarty and Credence get on, it's, like, 4 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, most of the big acts came came on at, like, 3 in the morning, 4 in the morning. Jimmy Hendrix played at 6 a.m. It's all dark. There's no lights. I'm looking around, and I'm, like, should we... I'm like looking at the van, like, should we keep playing? And then like some guy in the audience must've seen me like looking on, uh, sure about the whole thing. <laughs> and he's like, don't worry about it, John. Just, just keep going. And he, he was <laughs> yeah. like, I played the whole show for him. Yeah. The dead <laughs> played so funny. on, the dead played on the second day. Uh, after them came Credence and then Janis Joplin. And then after that Sly and the family stone, then the who, and then Jefferson airplane closed that oh, right out. Who was it? What's too? Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. They were playing early as fuck, dude. They played overnight. I mean, because yeah, Grateful Dead played 10.30 p.m. to 12.05. Credence came on at midnight to 1.20. The last band that came out, no. Jefferson Airplane, came on at 8 a.m. to 9.40 a.m. <laughs> so they literally played... The day started, 
at 12.30 p.m. They didn't play the last concert until 8 a.m. the following But morning. then when did day three start? Day three started at 2 p.m. So it went from 8 a.m. to 9.40 a.m. And then Joe uh, Cocker and the Grease Band came on at 2 p.m. Oh my so God. there was like a five It was almost like nonstop gap. music. Non-stop, that would suck to dude. play first in the day oh at a concert like that. <laughs> that uh. <laughs> you imagine just like because like they just constant, so you don't even get like that day to go back to your hotel like they do now with festivals like days uh, yeah. in between, you're and you're like that. coming <laughs> down off acid, about to take another dab, and you're just like sitting there like with a five hour break and more music's coming on. You're just like on a muddy hill and <laughs> you know upstate new that's that's just great but that's the thing that was the difference with music in the 60s there was yeah, like a level of like together you were just there yeah, everybody it, was, just, was, it yeah. was an event everybody was there part everybody was oh helping each other it was just you know they were trying to feed everybody they were trying to get everybody water they were flying stuff in medical treatment well i mean yeah they didn't expect any of that yeah. to happen driving bread trucks in yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then um you know, because of that, like at the end of the 60s with the war, I mean, carrying over into the 70s, like some of the bands that were started established then and even developed like more genre changing. The 70s was also the uh, beginning of a culture of music. Yeah, if you will. The, like the 70s was more, I think it was more of a, where the bands started. I guess the record companies started to take control. But wasn't that also like hugely the disco scene? That was at the end of the 70s. Yeah. The early 70s, the bands were becoming popular on their own, but the music, but the people were being f- kind of fed. If you were a band and you wanted to do an album and, and you were under a uh, contract with a record company, the record company would say, okay, you, well, you have to, one of the songs you put on this album has to be something we can release as a single. And that so the seventies kind of created this, you know, every 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 album every album had a single, and they had your album cuts. Yeah. yeah, you know, you had your deep cuts, and then you had your single. AOR. AOR. That's what I wrote here. AOR. Yeah. Album oriented rock. That's when the the FM radio stations started coming out. Mm-hmm. You know, they could play the deep cuts on the albums while the AM radio played Must the hits. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so it was that kind of things, but music kind of went more mainstream, I think, in the seventies. Yeah. So people became more people were exposed to more bands because they listened they heard the hits yeah from these bands and you heard bands uh, like bruce springsteen for the first time and stuff like that Yeah, bruce springsteen became yeah. popular he had a lot of hits they also had deep cuts aerosmith the same way yeah they had some you know their hits but then they had their deep cuts which Fleetwood were really mac they would mac oh, yeah. yeah. yep. all, all these bands came out in the 70s and they were then they all became superstars yeah but then disco along comes disco yeah, and yeah. kind of like it's no longer about the bands. It's about the music and the people dancing and the people. Even Kiss went coming a part of it. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's funny because when you mentioned the disco scene coming at the tail end of the seventies, right? I think like during the seventies is like that first time where like every decade had a genre of music that spawned and was like almost a mistake. Yeah, because then you go into the eighties and you know the disco scene comes crashing down. Like what I forget what baseball field it was at when they did that huge thing where they're oh, blowing up all, all the, the records. Yeah. Uh, yeah, where they're blowing up all the records, <laughs> the and that was supposed record, to like yeah. solidify that like disco's dead. Yeah. But then the eighties come, and you figure the early eighties. I mean, you have some of the bands from the seventies still releasing some good work, and then you're having the spawn of like the metal scene, the punk scene. But then you also have the stain of like the hair metal scene, which was like yeah. the disco of the seventies. You know, like well, the eighties was more of the second British invasion. Where yeah, all because these, yeah, all these Iron Maidens coming big, you electric know what pop. I mean? All these bands came over from, from England head. again. 
with these hits and yeah. these electronic music and the Sex Pistols, Judas yeah, Priest. and that Judas Priest. Judas Priest, yep, and that influenced the, that influenced the kids. The kids started dressing. <laughs> Def Leppard, Def Leppard. I mean, if you were to think of a band that would define the '80s, really in a nutshell, Def Leppard might be one of those bands. Yeah, the '80s, yeah. I yeah. would agree with that. Like, if you're talking about like mainstream radio in the yeah. 80s, like, Def Leppard is that band. Like, you think of like High and Dry, Pyromania, well, I was gonna Hysteria. Say Pyromania and Hysteria, especially. Maybe even Hysteria. like Tom Petty. Yeah. Well, dude, think about Guns N' Roses. Like Refugee or something. Yeah, but the thing is, Guns N' Roses, though, didn't come out until the later 80s. Well, what did Appetite come out? 88? But I'm yeah. saying, like, if you think about yeah. the early 80s, right? And then you think of all the bands that came as a result and then how it hit towards the tail end, that those bands made more of an impact on the later end, picking up the pieces of what other musicians weren't doing. And yeah, they kind of so. left the more gravity towards it. Like, yeah, in the early 80s and probably the 80s itself, mm. Def Leppard's on the radio all the time. Yeah. The, the biggest thing of the 80s was MTV. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. MTV That's... changed music. MTV, I remember the first broadcast of MTV in 1982. You know, yeah. video killed the radio star. And, all of a sudden, yep. and, the, and the first videos, they, they had six videos. That's all they had. They yeah. played them over and over again. So the and you would just sit there and watch yeah. them because you could actually see the bands playing. So most, like of the live, first, yeah. most of the first group of videos that came out on MTV for the first couple of years were just the bands playing and the people filming them. Yeah. And then along mm-hmm. comes Michael Jackson and creates Thriller. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Okay. Takes the whole video thing to another level. Yeah. That was now a movie. That first one was like now the 16 minutes, the yeah. first original release of that video. So now when a band puts out a video after Michael Jackson's Thriller, they have to get a director. Yeah. And they have to make a story about it and make it like a mini movie. Mm-hmm. So the, the, it just became this multimedia explosion. How stupid did David Lee Roth feel directing Jump the oh, same geez, time that Thriller came Stop, out? Stop, dude. <laughs> that that that's a mark on the eighties that we don't want to ever talk about. I yeah. like Jump. I think nineteen eighty four had better songs than Jump. Of course. I do have to Panama. ask Mike a question though. Yeah. Mike, if you don't <laughs> mind me asking, how old were you, let's say in like nineteen eighty two? Eighty and um eighty two eighty two I was twenty two. So you were like in your prime then in the 80s now i want to ask you i was playing full time then okay so i want to ask because now mtv is coming out and the exposure starting to happen where people are getting to start to see these artists even if they're not seeing them live because you figure live music was like really your only opportunity right did you start to see like people changing like what they were wearing and like the groups how they were like starting like in the at and like personalities change and like the second the second wave of the british invasion the second british invasion with all the punk rock and new wave people started dressing like you know, these people that they saw on, yeah, on MTV, the jackets, all, all the women dressed like um, Madonna, Pat Benatar, Madonna. Yeah. All, yeah. all the girls were dressed like that. The MTV brought it out so they could actually see it and they would imitate it. That's interesting. That's how they yeah, about the, that. the pop culture. And when we were we would play live um, after MTV came out, when every time we would play live during the breaks, they would play MTV videos on the video screens. Everybody would just stop and watch. The just TV watch the TV, yeah. During the whole breaks, when we were on break, and then we come back on and they watch us, and then they go back. It was such. It would capture. It captured everybody's attention because yeah, it was exactly. something new, Screen. and you can actually see <laughs> the performers that they used to listen yes. to on the radio. It actually kind of makes you wonder on whether or not MTV was like a, like a, um, like a government type thing to keep people amused and to like keep people like sure they were involved you know, well you think about that some, now you know and then 
so as we progress to mm-hmm. the 90s, yeah, is, I mean, that's the same thing because then yeah. that's the attitude that starts to get displayed, that kind of like more resistant through as opposed to just like irrational cause. Mm-hmm. Now everyone's starting to see like well, the strings what's the most attached. famous video of the 90s? Yeah, Bill. It's the most famous video of the Sounds 90s, like Bill. Spirit? There it is. Yeah. How, what, what's how, that, how, how what's the concept of that video? Exactly. How popular yeah. have Nirvana been without MTV? Not just the music. nearly as popular. No, that well, video think, made the whole image. It became part of your whole. Well, after MTV came out, it became if you were a band, videos became part of your marketing strategy. It was no longer yes. just making an album; you needed to make videos. Well, and Nirvana set a good uh, template for "Smells Like Teen Spirit" because mm-hmm. it's just a live video with little things yeah. peppered in. It's well mm-hmm. directed. Yeah, and, whole, and so it's and. A well-directed it's video, an easy went a video long to make, way. but mm-hmm. it's well done. And then a, a lot of the bands in the '90s kind of like took a step back from like big production, like videos like Thriller or something. Yeah. Well, it's, and they it's cool in a sense it. because you figure the generation that's appealing to uh, what's the millennial generation from '86 to '95 to '95 Generation X. Yeah, so you have. You know, obviously, kids of not of certain age. Like I was born in '91, so obviously, when mm-hmm. Nevermind drops, it's not groundbreaking as I'm a, a fetus, essentially. It changed the whole. Um, it changed the whole. But yeah, you figure kids in that age us. group that yeah. was like something to like hold on to, relate yeah. to, and get this type of like, you know, feeling of the oppression of being like a young adult in you know modern America in the '90s, where things are starting to become more corporate. Things are starting to become a little more difficult, like mm-hmm. the work field and like that peace love environment is slowly becoming grayer and darker. Grunge, yeah. grunge bands all hated hippies. Exactly, yeah. that's what I'm saying. And also too, there's another thing with like the change of dress. You go back to this like more blue collar thrift store and that's all based on the image yeah. that was portrayed in those music well videos. that's well, up thing. until the wow. 80s like the late 70s <laughs> yeah. everybody wore flannel still yeah that, well like then the grunge. glam scene came out and like and knocked it all you out you got dudes well, like teasing their hair it's like i said before mascara. on another episode it's almost like when grunge came out it was music by the people for the people it was yeah. like basically like a DIY. second yeah it was basically a second coming of like bruce springsteen or if you will or something yeah exactly punk, yeah, yeah. Like these are these are regular ass people writing music for other regular ass people, and it's cool too because Kurt's a lot of his influences were like older punk bands of the yeah. uh, like mid late eighties, and that's the you thing know? he kind of took that sound and make it like almost more tolerable for Beetle, like the early Beetle easy Beetle. listener. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. And it's funny because it, it really wasn't intentional on his part, and that's why like I hold Kurt to such high standards because. He was writing music with nothing to really go on to like create afterwards. Because then you figure yeah. some of the alternative acts that come out later in the '90s, they're going off the template now set by an artist. The same way the Beatles set a template for yeah. generations to come. Yeah, exactly. And so that's why when people hear about Nirvana and they don't know them, and their first explanation is like they changed music. Some people don't really understand what that even fucking means. Yeah, you know. And um, you know, you get to the tail end of the nineties, you go into the two thousands, and then that hip hop scene like reemerges. Which, yeah, it's been mm-hmm. building since the eighties, yeah, and the seventies even. And then like going back to the nineties for a second, like with the like uh, step back that grunge was like the reaction to like the kind of commercialized MTV culture of the eighties. Rap was the same way in the beginning. Oh, yeah. It was a total. It was like it was punk for inner city it was kids. literally taking yeah. the circumstances of current environment and literally putting it to music for people to relate to well you know when you get yeah. to the when you get to the bottom of it it's almost like 
like real recognizes real. Yeah. Like, Essentially, yeah. you know, like why is Bruce Springsteen one of the most decorated artists of all time? Well, I mean, when he came out, he was unparalleled in his realness. Exactly. Yeah. Well, he, relates, he relates to exactly. the everyday person. Exactly. And I think that, you know, like with the 80s and, you know, like the whole like glam thing and everything, I think that's why that scene kind of died out after a while yeah. and why it was so short lived in the 80s is because not everyone's going out doing blow and fucking groupies every night. Yeah. Nobody's flying on private jets, sipping champagne exactly. with like, you know. Like, gold straws to sniff your cocaine you know, with. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Not everyone can relate to Vince Neal's, you know, uh, home sweet home. <laughs> well, and by the end of the 90s, the 80s struck back and um, way more commercialized music was back in vogue. Uh, people started dressing more um, lavishly again, I feel like, was by like the early the 2000s. Oh, style yeah. was way well, less Because that's what I'm saying. That rap minimalist. scene, it's weird. If you figure when we grew up, when like Get Rich or Die Trying came out, yeah, now playing, you're ha- yeah. starting to have these Expensive artists jerseys. that are rapping about yeah. money and stuff, but it's not at the level that we see today, but that's yeah. the direction that's heading. Remember when fitted hats were like all bro, you know the how fucking many, rage? You know how many new era, <laughs> you know how many new era 5950 hats I had? $30 a piece. And my head wasn't even a full size yet so i'm buying all these fitted fucking hats that don't even fit me in a couple months <laughs> my father was livid i remember playing basketball i had to have every new pair of iversons because i saw some rapper wearing them and i liked alan iverson you know like everything AI. was based on culture ai3 yeah dude <laughs> and uh i remember when like get rich or die trying came out um especially that album because i was like i just remember seeing like 21 questions on mtv yeah, yeah. in the club you know what i mean on mtv 21 questions is underrated oh yeah yeah 21 questions is good oh, yeah. yeah 50 and cent also, 50 cent loses a lot of like like votes well, from people of the later era of 50 yeah. cent that we experienced but the the changes in technology also had a big change on the, the lime wire era all, all of a sudden <laughs> you had to go out and buy an album or you had to go out and buy a site a yeah. cd where you had a cassette tape, then all of a sudden you can start downloading music. Oh, yeah. And yeah. you get whatever song you wanted whenever you want it. So now you could record a song and have it on iTunes the next day. Yeah. It didn't take six months to get from writing a song to get it out to the people. The and internet changed everything. It's it's really sad, too, because that's kind of like the um, the world we live in. Like, you know, I want it, I want it now type attitude. Mm-hmm. And everything's just expected to be there. You may, you know, you figure you see an artist that's playing, you can just go right on your StubHub app. And I've mentioned it before, just click and order a ticket. Yep. As opposed to, like I mentioned, you know, in an earlier episode, that idea in like Dazed and Confused, where they're going to get Aerosmith tickets. And it's like an <laughs> event to go yeah, drive, yeah. to go get. Like that, that's the thing about music. Like it's just an in the moment type feeling. And some people lose that. Cause you know how many people, I go to shows and they spend maybe 80% of the time fucking filming the like the thing on their phone. Yeah, yeah. Like, did you even pay attention? Have you ever listened to it? Because um, then you go back and just watch it on your phone. Yeah, I, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm guilty yeah. of that to an extent. Like, I get like one song. One song. But I get like one song that like I sort of kind of don't care about. Yeah. I mean, I'll even <laughs> see this is the thing. Like, I'll film a certain song if I enjoy it, maybe for 30 seconds, just yeah. so I can go back and relive that moment for a period of time. Yep. But then you have the people that are videotaping whole like I, I remember and I'm not going to mention his name. We happen to go to a same concert simultaneously. I'm not going to even mention the band to give it away. It's fairly recent. But the end individual posted a what's, song what's the first letter of the band's name f okay <laughs> go ahead sorry go ahead. F. saw him uh i think it was february i saw him 
at the Wells Fargo. We're not going to talk about it. Anyway, Uh-oh. this individual that happened to be at the show at the same time posted a live oh. posted <laughs> a live about. video of the band playing. Yeah, this individual posted a live video of the band playing while he was still at the show. So that means like you're videotaping, going on social media, and literally posting about something that you're there in the moment to enjoy. Yeah. You spent money to see this. It's like, wh- why do you care if I'm everybody else... I'm also guilty of that, too. That's but it's like, it's, <laughs> I never film when I'm at concerts. That's the problem. You can always just go on YouTube and, well, and exactly. find What I did was, I when we saw Lamb of God... Yeah. I had my phone and like I saw like so let me what ask position you. it would be and I put Facebook Live on and I just live streamed the but concert. But that's different. This was like a physical post. It means it was videotaped. Yeah, saved, yeah. I, I didn't make physical like, posts. The, and I think that's why Facebook Live came out for the idea that you don't yeah. have to take yourself out of the moment. So they're trying to figure out easier ways for this millennial concept yeah. of streaming and social media and everything. And that's the thing. Like I, I'm not even gonna lie. Like I'm on Facebook way too much. I'm on Instagram way too much. But when those yeah. moments, like for music, I mean, you lost the idea of like how fun it was to go get tapes and vinyls and CDs even and even just the dangers of being on LimeWire and FrostWire and giving your parents computer aids you know like those <laughs> little things now it's like you have your phone you have Spotify you have yeah. Apple Music you know you have YouTube yeah and then when you actually go to a concert and you're still in the same mindset of just like are you even there yeah exactly are you even in hearing these songs you know it's mm-hmm. really sad and that's the idea of like what music has evolved to because then even the newer artists today, what they talk about, what their lyrical content is. Well, it's like know. we've talked about that before too. Like um like rappers talking about money they don't have yeah. and cars that they don't drive and houses that they don't own. It, it just goes back to the whole real recognizes real thing. It I, just, I just remember back in the seventies, I don't know how many nights I spent sleeping in the parking lot at the Spectrum. The to wait for the next morning for tickets to go on sale. Yeah. yeah. For Yes or for a Genesis or for Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd, whatever. I yeah. slept in the parking lot and got up in the early next and got in the front of the line to get tickets. And, yeah. And even when they had that first JFK show with, uh, uh, it was um, Yes and Peter Frampton and um, Jay Giles. It was the oh, first wow. out there. We we actually we actually went there the night yep. before the concert and spent the night at outside JFK Stadium just hanging out because they opened the doors at like nine a.m. and the next morning this band started playing at noon. Now Philadelphia and it was entirely it was, too dangerous for that. It was it was just the whole experience. You had yeah. the whole experience of waiting for the tickets, going to buy them, holding the tickets, waiting for the show, going to the concert with the ticket, and watching the. And there was no none of this and yeah and, and that's it and was the whole experience from beginning to end it's it's I just still a lot of time go to the box office to buy my tickets yeah well see that's the thing about you connor you really do still carry that like earlier vibe like you still listen to cds you go out and buy albums and even when i used to fucking cd shot with both you and bill it would be like i had these songs downloaded but i went out and bought the album like i rather listen to the cd i rather listen CDs to the vinyl. Are better than the digital it's just files. but there's there's something about it like owning the physical yeah, copy they get a lot louder. like even my tickets i don't even like to just have them on my phone to scan i like to have the 
ticket stub. Like it's yeah. just memories you create. That's and the sad thing is, it's like the world we live in. They literally have a thing called nomophobia, where it's you have a fear of not having your mobile device on you. Mm-hmm. And you picture this is what the world has become today. That even when you're sitting there, it's like you like Bill. You mentioned it. I mean, you felt some weird obligation in the moment to film a band facebook live it like that that just came natural to you yeah but there was a point in time bro when we were rocking nokia whatevers you know yeah bullshit phones in the early 90s when i had an lg flip phone without a camera shit even like yeah with the envy touch and the sidekicks and stuff like if you were at a concert you didn't have that inclination to like go out and pull your phone out and go on facebook didn't even exist i think more or less with me doing stuff like that it's for people that either a didn't know that that concert was happening or b I just want to show you how interesting I am because I'm seeing a That's band called saying. Lamb of like, God. Look at me. I'm looking at Lamb of God right now while you're working look at, at Wendy's. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Look like, at how close I am to Randy. Yeah. And that's the thing. Everything's coming more about like public <laughs> image. And I think a lot yeah. of that stems from, again, with the te- type of music. Like when you see Cardi B up there rapping about like, I'm a bad bitch type attitude. And then you got all these girls trying to act like. Hood rats. You know what I mean? And it's just the the kids that are developed. Like I'm like watching videos of like four year old girls twerking. I'm like Yeah. I remember it was a viral video. It was a dad dancing with his daughter and his daughter started twerking and he just had this like horrified look. But it's like, where did you learn that from? Exactly. You know? Now it also it can help also. I mean, the bands that I play in, when we play live, people videotape us, yeah, put it on YouTube. And it's actually good for but us. But that's the way you get exposure today. There that's is no the more way MTV. We yeah. get exposure. Yeah. People want to say, well, what's you your band like? Well, here. Here's yeah. this YouTube clip. Come yeah. see us. And they watch yeah, exactly. YouTube. They come see the band. Mm-hmm. So it, it can work both ways if it's used properly. Yeah. And you don't have to bring someone yourself to film it. No. no yeah. and so it's actually, I, I didn't realize how many, I look on YouTube and go, somebody taped us there. Somebody videos us there. I can see all these videos of the band playing. I can hear how we sound and how we look. And so it's, there's some still some good to it if it's done the, the right way. It's not overused. If you're not doing it just to show, hey, I'm here. Yeah. I'm here. I'm, I'm at the Billy Joel well, concert. Well, some Look. it's different. Like if you're going to see a <laughs> yeah. band like that's notorious, like already well known, yeah. a lot of people yeah. film. National but another action. thing is it's like the double-edged sword sense because let's say you're sitting there performing, you're an up-and-coming band, and all of a sudden someone catches you on film like in the bathroom sniffing coke. Right. You know, like because <laughs> everybody has cameras on them at all times. Yeah. So then it's like artists today are like watching their every uh-huh. move. Because you'll see stuff on TMZ or whatever and like just little locations of like some famous person doing some bullshit because some guy happened to have his iPhone on him and like 90% of people have technology on them at all times. If they had cell phones in the 80s, the entire entire band I was in would have been in jail. (laughs) Allegedly. Allegedly, sorry. Allegedly Allegedly committed. If they had phones in 2008, we'd all be in jail. We would all have all been in jail. We would yeah, all we, been we in, if we had computers in our pockets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have, we would have all been indicted. Uh, <laughs> 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 Sorry, Damn. we're gonna have to cut that out. Yeah, come crazy. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't make sense. Then Mike looks like a weirdo saying indicted because that never happened. Apparently. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we have all been indicted. Yes. <laughs> no, was, yes, indeed. But now, if there were if there were cell phones back in the seventies and eighties. So <laughs> maybe if we had socialized education in this country. No. <laughs> so roundabout just to kind of like, you know, kind of come to a general consensus, you know, everybody always jokes like I was born in the wrong era. Mm-hmm. Like if you could grow up and like this is saying if you were born in the 50s, like the prime would have been the late 60s, 70s. Like if you could just be okay. in your prime in any decade of music, which would you choose? We'll start with Bill. 80s. 80s. Yep. Connor. 
90s. So you've like been like, because you're born in the 90s. So yeah, you've like been, been prime like in the 18 90s. years yeah. earlier or something. Yeah. yeah, you'd like to have been, you know, a yeah. young adult like in the 18 90s. when I was yeah. born or something. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Or no, maybe like 18 to 91. Yeah. A little better. Music wise, I mean, just for the generation, I would have picked the 50s because I like that whole greaser look. But music wise, the 90s, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Just because of the bands that you could have seen live at that point in time. Uh, If we're talking now on music, I go back to like 1900. Well, yeah, I mean, (laughs) go back to fucking. Y'all like computers? Uh, 1500. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) I would love to go back with the knowledge I have now to the 80s and be like, listen. Dude, hey, I would like this to, thing called Apple. Back to the Future, getting the sports almanac. <laughs> yeah, I exactly. I do that, that enough, you know. But I'm, no, yeah, the '90s for music, definitely. I I like it just the way I, where I was born. I was born in 1960, and I grew up oh, in the so '70s. Yeah, you got to see, and that was, per, I mean, I no other decade for me really. Yeah. I got to see all the yeah. all the really cool bands. Now you say born <laughs> in the '60s. Would you have maybe have preferred it born in like the '50s to see the bands in their '60s more so, like as an adult? Yeah, maybe like five older. years earlier. Yeah, just like a smidge. Yeah, just a little bit earlier, so I could have seen more of the early progressive rock of the late '60s. Yeah. When Pink Floyd first came out, when Genesis first came out, yes. Uh, ELP, when they first came out in the late 60s. Yeah. I got to see them in the 70s when they were past, when they were, they reached the peak. But I still got to see them and they were still, you know, I saw Rush in their heydays in the early 80s. So I think where I I was pretty good. I I didn't see it. What was it? The Pompeii show? Oh, was that the, uh, yeah. Pink Floyd. Pink yeah, that Floyd. was that was in the holy fuck. That was before mm-hmm. Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah, that was could the, you imagine seeing that type of stuff yeah. like like Pink Floyd in their prime live? Even cool. just like after Sid Barrett, sadly, but like Pink Floyd after Sid Barrett obviously evolved to a different species at that point. But just yeah. that era of music. I'd probably take Pink Floyd on the wall tour. Yeah, if I had to, if I could go see any tour, I'd probably go back. To I would take him on to be honest. Yeah, yeah. the wall tour because you would see so much. But like even for me, like the animals tour because then you have Dark Side animals and you have Obscure. Yeah. yeah, Obscure by Clouds is out as well. Pick Dark Side and then Animal. Oh yeah, that just would have been. Yeah, I think they were at Veterans Stadium actually when they did that tour. They did oh wow, the vet. Tour. Yeah, my dad was at that. Yeah. No way. Yep. Your dad was at the animals tour at the vet. No, I'm sorry. He was at the wall tour at the vet. At the vet? All I know is they, they, they did it at the vet so they could use the lasers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The whole big thing. Well, they were one of those bands was... that really, yeah. Set, I like, think he tried time. to get tickets for the Animals Tour and something went wrong. That's fucking awesome, though. But he's on the wall, the wall tour. tour. Yeah. <laughs> well, this kind of this kind of brings it into the film that we suggested for you guys to watch last week, which was It Might Get Loud. It and Might Get High Pitched on YouTube. Yeah. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there may be or may not be. Can't you confirm or deny a shitty talking. fucking version of this film for... It's like a third Nothing. of the screen, and, the, and then it shows you like a fake movie theater. It looks like, yeah, it looks like a video of a, no, like just a movie theater. And it, on it, the movie theater screen, within the screen it, of your screen is the movie it looks like the projectionist is like filming the bootlegger yeah <laughs> yeah it's like someone Check, is he's it's filming so- the book the, the bootlegger filming yeah the- it's like yeah. someone bootlegging and someone's bootleg or, yeah. yeah and then destroyed the pits yeah <laughs> like you know those cameras where like the little screen flips out the side that you yeah. used to put the little vhs cassette in it yep. looks like someone's filming uh, yeah. that camera yeah. while someone's <laughs> filming the actual movie that's was- funny my buddy that watched on the fire twi- uh, the the uh the water twig the, the, the water, water twig, twig. Yeah. yeah the water twig and, and the Lodi. 
You yeah, can plug your TV. Yeah, the water twig. You can plug this thing called a water twig into your phone. Water and phones don't mix. Well, into your TV, TV or TV. The water twig. You got. We'll tell you about this water twig later. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, uh, one of my buddies saw it on said device and uh, off the loady. Yeah, off the loady, yeah. and it was uh, it was it was pretty good by what I've heard. Um, it might get loud. It's actually a strange type of concept of a movie. It's three different guitar players from three different generations. One being Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin, and the other one being The Edge from U2, one of Steve's favorite bands of all time. And the third and final guitar player is Jack White from White Stripes and Rock on Tours fame. Um, it's basically a documentary about these three sitting in a room together and discussing the guitar, discussing influences, discussing what they do with their instruments just just an all around it's almost like if almost like what you guys listen to every week just it was good famous i liked it <laughs> but it's almost like what you said earlier before it's like i thought like there wasn't enough jimmy there wasn't page, enough jimmy page yeah. and then the, i honestly like i'm really not a youtube fan and like yeah. the edges is like Kind of a boring guitar player because he doesn't show you what he's doing with the foot pedals or anything. He you just, just know he clicks. He just it. he yeah, just shows there. you yeah, what I'm actually playing you. is really yeah. stupid. But when I hit a bunch of these mystery pedals, and then he didn't show great. you like the the post production of what he actually made that sound exactly. like, which is weird. Like he just showed yeah. you how simple the riff was. And Jack White is all right, but this movie really not like, one of my favorites. This and he movie personally just, yeah, is yeah. kind of they dropped the ball. I think that. The thing, Jack was the Jack White, right? Yeah, he came into this. He was driving as he was driving to the show, saying, "Probably going to get into a fight and this." Uh, yeah, it, it, it sounds like he didn't have respect for the other two guitars. Exactly. But after, by the end of the Which show, the edge is understandable. By the end, of, by the end of the show, he's looking at these guys, going, "Oh my god, these guys like these guys, Jimmy Page. This guy's a guitar god." And listen to, and he he earned. He he got respect for these guys once yeah. he spent time with them, yep. and realized like, man, everybody's been influenced by these guys. And yeah, exactly. You know, even though I wasn't, I was more influenced by these blues players. These guys are like, you know, guitar gods. Yeah, I, but even so, though, Jack became, White has to respect who Jimmy Page is. I mean, the Edge, I can understand. Not everybody likes you too. It's I not think by really the end, I, I saw think by Jack the end, White. he did. Yeah, yeah, but I, I mean, I like think even walking going into, into it, it, walking into it, I think he was a little. Like honestly, when he said that, I'm like, this dude's a jerk off. Yeah, dude, yeah. I, I first saw Jack I White of. get a little like uh, humbled, humbled by yeah. Jimmy Page a couple times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It was funny, yeah, because the segments you got to see Jack by himself, he was kind of like a dick. Yeah, he was that trendy hipster, like yeah. I like this mm-hmm. shit because nobody else does type exactly. attitude. But then you got to do you, when you, there was that scene where he was playing. Uh, what was it a whole lot of love? Yeah. yeah, or heartbreaker. It was a whole lot of love. Whole lot, yeah, it was whole. And lot he was of like love. just staring. Yeah. He's like, oh my and god. Even, like you saw the, the smile edge, like on they his both, face and stuff. Yeah, heartbreaker with Jimmy were, Page. Yeah, I'm playing a whole lot of love with Jimmy Page. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, they were both at that Jeez. point in time, and like you got to actually see Jack White sincerely look struck by that moment to know like he's in the presence of literally history at this moment. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like honestly, who else could you say you could be in a room with and have them do the thing that they do for like like. If you were in a room with Jimmy Page and he started and he was like, "Hey, yeah. come on, Steve, play Hold on Love with me," what would you do? 
you'd fucking shit your pants. Yeah, I would uh, definitely have to leave because you'd be I like, shit my pants. Yeah. I, I, I'm sorry, Mister Mister Page. Uh, uh, I I can't I can't seem to uh, play. Right I can now. picture I can't feel it perfectly. My, <laughs> my voice would crack because I was like very intimidated. It wouldn't be prepared. My throat would be dry, so I would crack my <laughs> voice, and at the same time, I would probably let out this like weird nervous fart, and it would just it would be like a whole. I can see the moment. It's like one of those moments that you wait for your whole life, and then you're like, like thinking about it six years later of how you fucked it up. It'd be like that. Like those are the things that would keep me up at night. Like wow, like I just sounded like twelve and I farted in front of Jimmy Page by accident. I'll wafting, never live this down. Wafting. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Was that the fart? Yeah. It would be like a very. And it would be like no. It would be like the one from Step Brothers that just yeah. goes on forever. Oh. Like ketchup and onion. Jimmy Page is just like, how dare you pass wind before me? <laughs> <laughs> and Jimmy Page is so cool about it. He's just so. He's just cool. Yeah, he, you know, he, and like you can see him when he was playing. Like he just had this like like uh, he, like the, swag to yeah, him the, that he the, still the, has yeah, after all these years. Yeah, the swagger and and just the, the he wasn't technically the the greatest guitar player, but he just he was a had riff that master. Look and the feel, and when he plays, yeah, like, yeah, that's Jimmy Page. I don't know if you ever did it, Michael, but if you go on YouTube and you just type in, it might get loud. There's a lot of outtakes okay. and deleted scenes from that movie. Like we were watching before we started, like if like Jimmy Page teaches them how to play like cashmere and stuff like that, and Jack White teaching them Seven Nation Army, and uh, the Edge teaching them how to play. Um, they should have showed that stuff. Yeah, they really the should have. Parts were the performances and when they were actually playing. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, then again, I think if they were to if they were to put out everything they filmed that day, the movie would probably be like fucking ten hours long. Oh, yeah. Like, White could you imagine how long? Way they're... too much. Yeah, like it was almost the whole just like movie was like Jack White. It was, it was like shut weird, the fuck up. The I want to hear what the what Jimmy Page has to say. And it's weird because in stardom <laughs> sense, even the Edge, I would put, and I don't like again, I don't like you too. But the Edge is just because of the success of you two, famous, yeah, way more 100%. famous than Jack yeah. White. Like that was almost like a Jack White movie featuring the edge which i still don't get though like jack white is really nobody compared to jimmy page it was just a weird cast of people to bring together like me and connor were talking about this a couple days ago when we first were talking about this movie it's like they couldn't get a hold of anybody else yeah like those were like out of all the guitar players from the 80s you're gonna choose the edge yeah like it was like 45 percent jack white like Mm -hmm. 30% 30% The Edge, and then like 25% Jimmy Page. Yeah, and it's just so weird. I just the, wonder the if there was Page. a lot of um, like issues with trying to maybe bring certain guitars together, because like The Edge is pretty neutral, and yeah. Jack White is kind of like, I'll take anything type attitude. Well, he has to, because he's nobody. Well, I wouldn't go now, that he's not. He's like I said, he's like a top mid-level B-list no. guitarist. Yeah. Is, Jimmy, is Jimmy Page... Uh, Jimmy Page had those same kind of roots, the blues kind of yeah, roots. Yeah. It's almost like he had the same kind of roots as Jack White. Jack White had the, yeah. the black blues. We could have found the same so kind of Page did a lot better they, with they, it, right? They, they, they <laughs> yeah, obviously, this, right? They, they seem to have the same <laughs> roots, while the Edge's roots were more. I don't want to say political, but kind of politically, because well, of the way what was going on in Ireland at the time, and his and the whole the YouTube's whole and stuff. Um, image. It's, it's a lot of political stuff. Yeah. Because, I mean, you can't help it because of where they grew up. Yeah, exactly. And they hired the Ireland in the movie. So it's like his influence wasn't, you could tell by the yeah, edges playing that his influence isn't blues based. Like, yeah, exactly. Page and White's. So they had a contrast there going there also. 
Yeah, I just see, like you said, I mean, I just think there's so many guitars probably from both those eras that you could have like brought together. Yeah. I'm just curious. Like, I mean, like, I, I don't want to be like, oh, Eddie Van Halen. But no, because Eddie I'm Van saying, Halen's probably more of a recognizable '80s guitar player he's, than he's the also Edge. a he's also all day a long, dick, dude. I'm sorry. Yeah, he is. Like him sitting there with Jimmy Page. It probably, yeah, like, I think the two of them just kind of well, they're fit boys. Like the character. Sure. Yeah, Jimmy Page and Eddie Van Halen are boys. Yeah, but it's like if I'm sitting there watching. I think maybe that was it. It was almost like a step down pedestal, like Jimmy Page to the edge to Jack White. And it yeah. wasn't like going down like all the way to like a total shit guitarist, but like yeah. kind of got like a hierarchy of these guitarists. That's, if you that's have, kind of what it was like, too. Yeah. Put, imagine like watching like Satriani, Pertucci and like Ingve all talk. It probably get annoying because everyone's just yeah. trying to outdo each other. Yeah. yeah. See who can play the fastest. That's what, like it was, yeah. Yeah. conversations <laughs> about their guitars. And then and Petrucci just shit all over everybody. Yeah. It was just weird that I got to see Jack White kind of take the reins of this movie. Almost. There's like, yeah, it's just very... like no one else from the 2000s, though, that is like as recognizable as Jack. Well, White, it's like we were talking about, too. Like no one has really done anything with the instrument that, you know, since like the 80s, really. Any guitar players that yeah. could even come close to rivaling Jack White and relevance from the 2000s weren't singers. Yeah. They were just the guitarists in their bands. I feel like, well, though, so, maybe I mean, so they could have replaced edge, Jack White with somebody so, from, like, Yeah, but he was like in a grunge. era where rock stars got pumped up. And were uh, yeah. Get, yeah cause but I feel like they could have replaced Jack White with, like, yeah. Jerry Cantrell or Chris Cornell. Well, or They would have had well, to add when fourth, was this, I feel like. When was this have, they were trying to bring it into modern day. Jack White was yeah. more relevant when was this 10 film? years ago. It's like 10 years ago. Yeah, that was yeah. ten years ago. He should have had Alex Lifeson. All right. Yeah, that would have been cool too for the eighties guitar player. Ago. That would have been really cool because yeah. he was influenced by Jimmy Page. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Or maybe that's why. Maybe that's why they did that because the Edge was not influenced by Jimmy Page at all, yeah. and Jack White wasn't influenced by either of them. Yeah. And maybe it was like here's three totally different dudes yeah. that have no connection to one another at all. Let's see how they react. There to one has, another. Yeah, there. Like, and it's it, this is all obviously skepticism, and you know, theory, we would like to get like, in touch yeah, with Davis like a, Guggenheim. I'm just yeah curious. Him. What was uh, if this was like the initial plan, and like why, or if something happened, and there were supposed to be other individuals? Because again, it is a they're all recognizable artists, but it's just a very weird cast to put next to Jimmy Page. So yeah. I'm wondering what the intent was. But um, um anyways, yeah. Out of our scores, what would you give us? Well, Michael, since you're our guest today, out of a one to ten or one to a hundred, if you want to get one to ten metrics, keep it simple. One to ten. Well, obviously, not the metrics. Seven. Seven. Seven at time. Well, you, Connor. I was thinking six point five. I was also thinking a seven. I was. Uh, you know what? I'll just make this easy on everyone. I'll do a six point five. Also, seven point seventy five. Yeah. Or six point seventy five. If there was more Jimmy Page, I would have given. Yeah. It yeah. <laughs> like honestly, I didn't care to hear about. The edge and all of his fucking pedals because I can do that the shit. The thing here. about it is though, it's the, the the scenes in there that are a little like drawn out. Why is he talking? Like, how come there's not enough of this? They're, they weren't bad though. No, it wasn't. You know, bad, like we've seen some other movies with like Jimmy drawn Page out. Rip on the Dan Electro is the vape. Might have been the like put it this way. Yeah, yeah. From, like sitting there playing the man laying out in the front yard or whatever. Yeah. yeah. If there was more Page, it would got a higher yeah. review. Well, like think about when we did Devil at the Crossroads. Oh it was a documentary God. with insight, and it was just absolutely boring. Like every scene just felt like filler. Like it was yeah, just, but it's like that's the thing. There weren't even scenes in there to enjoy. This actually has some moments in there, like even just getting to see Jimmy just play for them just for a quick thirty yeah. seconds is just. I I feel like yeah. if you weren't uh like a fan 
like a guitar player fan, yeah. I feel like you could you would rate this movie higher. But it's like us being musicians and knowing how yeah, influential these people are. It. Yes. And the seven is kind of like high in my eyes to say that because, again, I say seven just for the sake of like going to view it. You know yeah. what I mean? It, um, it's definitely magical the first time you watch it. Yeah. And the second would It's an interesting watch, more. put it that way. Yeah. Uh, and Jimmy Page sitting in that room full of LPs and 45s. And yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. His record I even mentioned that specifically. Like, I want uh, a room like that That's to just, just be really able to cool. listen. Just insane. Imagine how much money yeah. he has in records. Unbelievable, man. <laughs> Hundreds of that, or tens of thousands at least. Yeah. All right. Well, um, we're actually a little bit less than the normal ratings. Um, Rotten Tomatoes gave it 80%. Audience score was 85%. IMDb was 7.6 out of 10. And Metacritic gave it a 70. So we're about on point with like what Metacritic and yeah. IMDb. Right um, Cosmo Landisman from the UK Times says, For guitar freaks and fans of these guys, the film gives you a unique chance to hang out with some real guitar heroes. I wouldn't call the Edge and Jack White guitar heroes, but Jimmy Page's guitar hero-ness makes up for the other two. From the uh, average listener, I would say, yeah, you'd be like, cool, it's the Edge. Yeah. I remember when they put that album on my iPhone in 2014. <laughs> it all comes full circle. I'm so glad I got All roads led to this. Um, the London Evening Standard says, uh, this: the film gets up close and personal proving that each is a musician first and a rock and roll star afterwards. You know, I kind of didn't get that vibe though, that they were like trying to be like rock stars or whatever, like at all. No, nah, but, they, were just, they were just nah, showing they were how chilling. they play. Yeah. yeah that, and- that was that. That's a generic review. Like, Oh yeah, they're not rock stars. They're just musicians first. <laughs> all right. Um, our group suggestion this week for all of you, friendly and great listeners out there including all of our international listeners we'd like to thank you guys once again for checking us out um our suggestion is the movie on netflix documentary titled 27 gone too soon directed by simon napier bell i actually can't wait to watch this one i heard it was amazing dude i'm excited like, I wonder if I'm going to find out anything new. I tried to find reviews for it, and I couldn't find anything. The only thing I hope that that's I not ho- something. I really hope it's not just, like, boring, like, Wikipedia fact, you know, basic information. Yeah, I hope it's not either. I really hope it's not like But anyway, that. guys, check it out. Um, <laughs> let's get into our personal suggestions this week. Uh, Michael, you go first. Do you have anything you want to suggest to our listeners here? Uh, just like I said in the beginning, um, check out check out Tal. Winkenfeld, she's really incredible. Um, the album she finally put out on her own called um, Love Remains, and there's a song on it called Killing Me. It's just really different and a lot, it's so different than what's out today, and it's really, really good tune. And she's really a, a great bass player and a great musician. Perfect. What do you got, uh, Connor? Um, I got My Bloody Valentine's comeback album from 2013. Um, mbv nice um it's a really great album it's like they're like tool times like 30 with the like delays you, like it's crazy when you say tool times 30 you're talking about like their last album before this is like in the top three most acclaimed albums of the 90s and it was from 91 and they never officially broke up i don't think because tool didn't get really like with the 
yeah effects until like Anima, which was like 96 so you're saying like that era tool? i'm saying like they they take forever to follow yeah oh uh, like, in like the difference between ten thousand days uh, and like sound. okay you're saying yeah. like time gap wise <laughs> yeah we're talking so, what like 20 22 years yeah yeah that's insane um, that's a lot of time check out she found now or um new you if you like those songs you probably like the whole album nice uh, what about you steven uh, mine is going to be the third release by the band The Stooges, 1973. The album's Raw Power. Uh, the song I'm recommending is the second one. It's called Gimme Danger. Uh, Iggy Pop. Little Stranger. Yeah, it's a really good album front to back. It's actually like one of my like go-tos when I had actually had it on CD. Um, but yeah, it's a really good album. Third album by The Stooges, Raw Power. Awesome. Uh, my suggestion this week is from my... Newer, interesting from the beginning of this episode, the band Camino album, Try Hard. Um, probably the song I would show or have people check out would be um, What I Want or Daphne Blue. They're both uh, both extremely good songs. But Definitely something to, to check out. one to a desert island, which one would you pick? Just one uh, song. Probably What I Want. Okay. All right. Great. <laughs> So desert islands, uh, <laughs> we generations. We Tom and, Hanks would take smells like, and not smells like Tom Hanks would take. Never mind. Yeah, we knew that. <laughs> Never mind would be the soundtrack to Castaway if it was made today, based on this recommendation. Castaway was closer to Nevermind than today. It was closer to Nevermind than it was to Appetite. Well, yeah, that's because Appetite came before Nevermind. Exactly. <laughs> it was meant to be. <laughs> And somehow Lars Ork is involved. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that about wraps up for this week. <laughs> thanks, this, for, thanks for having me again. Not a problem, you, Michael. Coming. We'd like to, you know, thank Michael once again for coming on. Um, yeah, you guys will be. audience going crazy. <laughs> Wild. This is uh, Rage Against the Mainstream signing off Dude, once Michael, again. Yeah. <laughs> this is Bill. Connor, Steve, Mike. Thank you guys for listening. We will catch you next week.